0: Welcome to the latest episode of public power now i'm paul shampoli news director for appa our guest on this episode is carolyn slaughter senior director for environmental policy at appa who's here to discuss recent leg- legal and regulatory developments in the environmental arena carol thanks for joining us on the podcast
1: it's my pleasure to be here
0: So, Carolyn, you know, in our newsletter, we've covered a lot in terms of recent developments in both the legal and regulatory arenas as it relates to environmental issues. So to get our conversation started, I want to talk about rules proposed by the Environmental Protection Agency in May. Uh, to limit carbon dioxide emissions from new existing modified and reconstructed power plants. Um, So three questions related uh, to that. One, can you offer additional details on the proposed rules? Two, how will they affect utilities? And three, what are the next steps in the regulatory process?
1: Sure, happy to to jump right in and start with um, the Environmental Protection Agency's rules to limit CO2 emissions from the power sector. Um, Just by way of context, US EPA has long sought to regulate CO2 emissions from the power sector, and their earliest efforts were during the Obama administration with the Clean Power Plan. And subsequent administrations promulgated the affordable clean energy rule. And this current administration, the Biden administration, is promulgated or proposed a suite of rules that will address CO2 emissions from new existing modified and reconstructed power plants. Uh, The rule was issued in May, uh, this past May, and includes five major rulemaking packages. And I'll kind of walk through each package and provides you an overview of what's included in the package. So the power plant rules for GHG emission reductions were in the Federal Register, published in the Federal Register on May the 23rd. There will be a 60-day comment period where APPA and other stakeholders will um, provide technical comments and legal comments back to the agency on its proposed greenhouse gas standards and emission guidelines for fossil fuel powered plants. So, as I indicated, the, the rulemaking includes uh, five distinct rules. Uh, the first rule is the new source performance standards for GHG emissions from new fossil fired stationary combustion turbines. So, these are primarily natural gas fired units. There'll be a revised new source performance standard for modified fossil fuel generating units, and that's primarily for coal fired power plants. The next Part of this package are emission guidelines for greenhouse gas emissions from existing combustion turbines. And then the next piece of this is the emission guidelines for greenhouse gas emission reductions from existing steam generating units. And then there's the Affordable Clean Energy Rule that was promulgated under the Trump administration. So each component of of this rulemaking package addresses GHG emissions. Um, from the power sector, and the EPA developed this rule to be a phased-in approach. So it's got multiple phases of compliance that are required, um, starting with existing steam generating units. Uh, these are the coal units that I referred to earlier. Um, there are subcategories based upon when a particular coal unit anticipates retiring. So we have the intermittent term, we have the near term, we have medium term, and then we have long term. Uh, The long term subcategory applies to facilities that anticipate retiring after January 1st of 2040. Um, Those particular units would have to meet specific emission requirements that are related to the best system of emission reduction. So those units that operate after 2040 would have to deploy carbon capture and storage at 90% capture of CO2 emissions, and meet an emission limitation of approximately 88% reduction in the emission rate in pounds per CO2 per megawatt hour. The presumptive approvable standard is the 88.4% reduction in annual emissions from a unit-specific baseline. So that's the long-term subcategory. Uh, the medium-term subcategory are units that retire before excuse me, at 2040, and that's based upon a best system of emission reductions based upon natural gas co-firing at 40%, so which is basically a 16% reduction in emissions um, on a pound per CO2 per megawatt basis. And then we've got the near-term and in the interim Subcategories which apply to units in the near term that are applying that are retiring before January 2035. Um, They'll have to operate at a 20% capacity factor limitation. And then the interim, those are those that are planning to retire before 2032, they have to continue to meet routine methods of operation. So no significant emission reduction, excuse me, no significant emission control technologies need to be applied for those units that are in the interim in the near-term subcategory. So moving on to existing combustion turbines and those guidelines under Section 111D of the Clean Air Act, Uh, this subcategory really addresses those large baseload units. So these are combustion turbines, combined cycle turbines that are greater than 300 megawatts in capacity, as well as units that operate with greater than a 50% capacity factor. Those units are identified as large, frequently used existing stationary combustion turbines, and they would need to meet a best system of emission reduction based upon uh, whether they want to co-fire with low GHG hydrogen or retrofit with carbon capture and sequestration technology. And within that subcategory for those large units, there are various phases depending upon when the technologies can be phased in. So for example, for units that are electing to use hydrogen co-firing, they would have to meet uh, a 30 percent co-firing by volume with low GHG hydrogen beginning in 2032. There's a second phase that they would have to comply with in 2038 based upon co-firing at 96% by volume of hydrogen for those units that elect to co-fire, use that co-firing option. For large gas units that elect to use the CCUS option, um, beginning in 2035, they must apply carbon capture and storage to their combined cycle unit to capture 90% of the CO2 emitted from the unit. So those are kind of the standards for existing coal and existing gas. So moving to the new units, um, so those are regulated under Section 111B, as in boy, of the Clean Air Act, applies to new, modified, and reconstructed combustion turbines. Those units are also subcategorized. EPA identifies subcategorization as a way to provide flexibility to the power sector to meet uh, ultimate emission goals. So for new and reconstructed combustion turbines, those subcategories include units that are low load, meaning they have a capacity factor of less than or equal to 20 percent. Units that are in the intermediate load category have to meet a capacity factor of between 33 and 55 percent, depending on whether they're simple cycle or combined cycle. And then those units that are base loaded would have requirements that are above capacity factors 40% or 55%. So that's kind of the subcategorization for new and reconstructed units. Moving to modified units under 111B, um, EPA really is kind of looking at these units and trying to develop a requirement for units that are modified, and they expect to capture 90% of the CO2 emissions and meet a performance standard of about 90 pounds of CO2 per megawatt hour. So generally speaking, those are the compliance requirements for um, the power sector under this new suite of regulations. Um, And we look forward to developing a robust set of comments based upon EPA's proposal. So I think next I'll move on to what we expect in the regulatory process. So after the comment period is developed, the agency will um, evaluate those comments, develop a final rule, and the goal of this administration is to publish the final rule sometime in the spring of next year um, in time for um, this administration to defend the climate rules should they be challenged in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, We have every expectation that this proposal, once it's finalized, is likely to be challenged. There are some novel concepts that are included in the proposal, so we look forward to to seeing what the next next few months will bring as we um, work with EPA to develop a a workable rule for the power sector as we transition to lower and non-emitting resources. So added to the GHG rule requirements, EPA has also been busy looking at regulations to manage the safe disposal of coal ash um, in areas that had not been previously regulated.
0: Thanks, Carolyn. So um, the EPA last month also issued a proposed rule that would require the safe management of coal ash disposed of in areas that are currently unregulated at the federal level. What is EPA proposing in the rule? How will it impact utilities?
1: Thanks, Paul, for the, for the question. So EPA proposed amendments to... The 2015 coal combustion residual rule. Um, so they're proposing to regulate two new classes of CCR units under the federal CCR. Um, the first class would be legacy CCR service impoundments, referred to as legacy impoundments. Um, they would be defined as service impoundments located at power plants that cease generating power prior to October 19, 2015 and surface impoundments that contain both CCRs and liquids on or after that October 19, 2015 date. This particular element of the proposal is in response to litigation in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, the D.C. Circuit. The case is uh, USWAG via EPA, where the D.C. Circuit determined that based upon the 2015 CCR rules making record, it was arbitrary and capricious for EPA to exclude legacy impoundments from the scope of the 2015 CCR rule. Accordingly, the expectation of CCR, with the exception of the CCR rule's location standards and liner demonstration requirements, EPA is proposing to subject these legacy impoundments to the full suite of regulatory requirements currently applicable to inactive CCR surface impoundments at active power plants. So what does that mean? That includes requiring groundwater monitoring, corrective action, closure, and post-closure care requirements. The proposal would also require owners and operators to make applicability determinations regarding whether the legacy impoundment existed at the facility and if the legacy impoundment is determined to exist and meet the performance-based security site security standards. Like in the 2015 CCR rule, the proposal sets deadlines for meeting the various proposed requirements, and it potentially accelerates many of these deadlines for legacy impoundments. So that's the first class of units that will be regulated under this proposal. The second class of units proposed for regulation include a far broader scope of units. this new category of legacy impoundments would be coal combustion residual management units or CCRNUs for short. And these coal ash management units are defined as any area of land on which any non-containerized accumulation of CCRs are received, placed, or otherwise managed that is not a CCR unit. So within the scope of the Units identified as CCR management units would be CCR disposed in service impoundments and landfills that closed prior to the effective date of the 2015 CCR rule, disposal in inactive landfills, and any solid waste management activity that involves the placement or receipt of CCRs directly on the land. This rulemaking package um, has a lot of nuance to it. It outlines reporting requirements, it outlines uh, the timeline in which facilities have to install and evaluate their groundwater monitoring data, and then requires facilities to put much of this information on their publicly available website regarding CCRs. So it's it's quite a, a detailed set of rulemaking requirements, and the industry is uh, currently grappling with what that means for facilities that have closed prior to the 2015 rule going into effect, and characterizing those facilities, either doing site characterizations, working with their staff to evaluate uh, previous monitoring data to determine their applicability for this rule. So it's quite comprehensive, and APPA and other stakeholders will be submitting comments to the agency um, during the public comment period.
0: So staying in the nation's capital in terms of key developments uh, from last month, as you know, the Supreme Court um, issued a decision involving the scope of the Clean Water Act. How big of a deal is this decision? How is it going to affect the utility sector?
1: This decision out of the Supreme Court was a 9-0 decision. Uh, the case is SAC and via EPA, and it's pretty significant for uh, the utility sector, and in industry as a whole, for that matter. Um, the Clean Water Act requires any facility that impacts waters of the United States to potentially get a permit. And so the decision out of SAC, it really uh, addresses the breadth and the scope of what is considered uh, waters of the United States under the Clean Water Act. And the primary holding in SAC and VA EPA was that the clean water extends only to those wetlands that are a practical, as a practical matter, are indistinguishable from waters of the United States. So for wetlands to be jurisdictional under the Clean Water Act, um, they must be adjacent to a relatively permanent body of water connected to a traditional interstate navigable water. And have a continuous surface connection with that water, making it difficult to determine where the water ends and the wetland begins. So therefore, the Supreme Court uh, narrowed the definition of what is a water of the United States to include traditional interstate navigable waters, relatively permanent bodies of water connected to traditional interstate navigable waters and wetlands that have a continuous surface connection with either Navigable waters are permanently, uh, relatively permanent water bodies. Um, this is a pretty big, pretty big deal, and the utility sector is is currently digesting this. Um, the SACA decision comes in the midst of EPA developing its definition of WOTUS, and this is the the third time um, the respective administrations have sought to clarify what is the waters in the United States. And this decision seeks to, um, from the Supreme Court that is, to further clarify for EPA as it develops its implementing regulations, what actually uh, would be considered WOTUS. Um, But it does leave some questions for the agency to consider uh, moving forward as it works to develop another definition for WOTUS or to clarify their existing definition. Um, Some of the open questions for the power sector with respect to this rule relate to how does the agency address what it means for a relatively permanent water to be connected to a traditional interstate water. This is the, the idea that the agencies would potentially better define what it means to be connected. Um, so that's an area of ambiguity that we're looking for for further clarification from, from EPA and the core. But it does give us a little bit more certainty with respect to how we cite and permit projects um, and if we are indeed impacting a wetland. We do expect that EPA will develop a revised rulemaking in the near term. Um, as a result of the Sackett via EPA decision that might address um, some of the outstanding issues that the court did not address.
0: Final question for you is, we've covered obviously a lot of ground in terms of recent uh, uh, events uh, in DC related to environmental um, uh, issues. So are there any other pending regulatory legal proceedings that APPA is currently tracking?
1: Absolutely. There are a number of rules that are in development and are in varying stages. Uh, I'll just note, we recently submitted a set of comments on the agency's uh, supplemental proposal to amend the steam electric effluent limitation guidelines. Um, So that comment period is closed, EPA is evaluating the comments, and the expectation is that they would propose a new rule or excuse me, finalize a new rule in the spring of next year that would address combustion residual leaching, as well as uh, legacy wastewaters, revise wastewater limits and requirements for bottom mass transport water, and flue gas desulfurization wastewater from power plants. So that's one rule that we're watching. Uh, We're also watching for And the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, um, this requirement would potentially have significant implications for facilities and utilities that are building large projects that potentially impact uh, federal lands. So large transmission projects, for example, uh, would be a prime uh, subject of of regulation under NEPA. Uh, In addition to that, we're also expecting U.S. EPA to amend and modify requirements for mercury emissions from the power sector. So this would be an amendment or revision to the mercury air toxic standards for power plants to regulate mercury, PM, and acid gases from the power sector. We're currently in the middle of a comment period regarding that. And so those are some of the the other environmental regulations that are
0: on tap. So it sounds like you're gonna be busy for the next couple months.
1: Most definitely. Right. Um, <laughs> My plate is plate is full.
0: Right, definitely. Um, so it, it the other question I had, so if 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 our members we covered a lot of ground today, if they have questions about anything that we've covered today, they can obviously always reach out to you um, for further information, right.
1: Absolutely. Happy to to chat with members regarding any of these rules that we discussed today. Um, We also encourage members to participate via the Environmental Listserv, um, where we provide kind of real-time summaries and analysis of various rulemakings and often seek member feedback via these mechanisms.
0: Well, Carolyn, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Happy
1: to do so. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now, which is produced by Julio Guerrero, Graphic and Digital Designer at APPA. I'm Paul Schampoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power.